Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I'm your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Andrew Cummins, Director of Business Development, Archer Aviation. On today's episode, Andrew and I discuss the future of Archer's aerial ride-sharing service. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks, Grayson. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you here because urban air mobility is a fascinating new emerging technology. It's going to have an extremely positive impact on society. In your opinion, what is the future of urban air mobility? Starting with the basics, urban air mobility is really a, it's an emerging form of, of transportation um, you know, that will be commercialized over the next few years. And really, the, that, that form of transportation is enabled by the development of, of these new types of aircraft, which we're calling eVTOLs, which are all-electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And what we want to do is, is use these aircraft, operate these aircraft in cities to safely, efficiently, and affordably move people uh, in and around uh, our communities. You know, we all know that our existing uh, transportation networks and, and infrastructure is just really stretched and strained kind of to the max, especially in our large cities. We have lots of congestion on the road. And so we really think there's a fantastic opportunity now to, to use these eVTOL aircraft to open up the third dimension, open up the sky, so to speak, and uh, allow people to move a little more efficiently and, and effortlessly around around town, right? And I think what's really interesting about it is that this technology will allow us to really connect communities uh, unlike we've never been able to before and, and really give people back their uh, you know, their most valuable resource, which is time. And not only that, right? I mean, this is also about enabling uh, and complementing and expanding the current transit in infrastructure and, and networks that we have in our cities. And really, we think that this is just a fantastic first step as well to start the journey of decarbonization of, of the uh, aviation and aerospace industry. There's, there's definitely going to be multiple tools in our toolkit to decarbonize aviation. Uh, moving towards all electric propulsion is, is one of those ways we can do this. Uh, there's also things like sustainable aviation fuels and potential, potentially looking into you know hydrogen fuel cells and things of that nature in the future. But you know th this is really a, a great first step, and we're really excited about it. And so you know this is really these are aircraft. This is you know kind of an evolution of aircraft, right? This is an airplane. We're certifying this aircraft through the FAA. It's really the new technology that represents kind of that revolutionary leap as far as the benefit that these types of aircraft can have on society, right? And that's what, that's what we're really excited about. It's a really big leap. More importantly, I think the most important thing is you, you mentioned it's, it's an aircraft. You look at aircrafts and, and airlines. Archer has an agreement with, with United Airlines, I, uh, the first or second um, largest airline in the world, in my opinion, Scott Kirby has done a heck of a job managing the company through the pandemic, and he's continuing to, to gear the company up for profitability. And as part of your relationship with United, you formed a joint advisory committee aimed at supporting Archer's goal to operate an airline fleet of eVTOL air taxis. That's a really big, impressive statement because um, knowing the United team, they don't go into something. Well, 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 when United goes into something, they go into commercialize and to build a business. Could you talk about that committee, please? Uh, United is a fantastic partner of ours. So United is our launch customer. Uh, they've put in an order for up to $1.5 billion worth of aircraft. And, and so that's really, a, you know, I think a, a fantastic statement 
about how we're building our aircraft, uh, how we're designing our aircraft, our path through certification, and and ultimately the the use case for the aircraft. So uh, more than anything else, we're we're really excited that we think uh, the United Order validates the way we're approaching the commercialization of of our aircraft. Uh, so that's number one. Number two is that United is a fantastic strategic partner of ours as well to help commercialize urban air mobility and our aerial ride sharing service. So United obviously has decades of experience operating aircraft as, as a major airline. And so, you know, what we're looking to do with our urban air mobility service is set up a mini airline in cities. So there's 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 no doubt that their experience in decades, uh, you know, of operating aircraft, optimizing operations from that perspective is something that we can then use to, to apply to, to our service services as we look to build it out in cities like LA and Miami and, and beyond, right? I mean, there's a lot of things that we have to do to enable the operation of this type of aircraft as an aerial ride-sharing service, right? We need to stand up an entire ecosystem to support its its operation. Those are things like the takeoff and landing facilities, which we call vertiports uh, in the industry. We need MRO capability, maintenance, repair, and overhaul capability. Uh, we're certainly going to need to to build a, a pipeline of of pilots and train those pilots. Uh, we have to think about things like first and last mile to create a, a seamless end-to-end customer journey from, from door to door, not just from vertiport to vertiport. Uh, so there's a lot of things that uh, that we're focused on, and, and uh, you know we're really excited about working with United to help stand some of that up. You said it, and I want to emphasize it, United Airlines validates Archer's model. There's a, there's a few things on the United thing. Years ago, United was very kind and invited me to SFO, and I got to see the maintenance where they were tearing down a 747 and showing me the whole process of when the planes go in. And the miles of wires in the aircraft, it was absolutely incredible. And the attention to detail that those engineers have to ensure that when that aircraft goes in for maintenance, when it goes out, it's the safest aircraft. So you're going to learn a lot there. And then looking at the commercialization aspect of United, you have the Mileage Plus program. And then you have the United app, which is the the glue for flying on United. At some point in the future, as Archer scales, will eventually, so let's say, let's use O'Hare since that's a very big port. So you go O'Hare to LAX, and then from LAX, you have to go to, say, downtown. Could that whole thing be integrated? So you go from LAX to, I'm sorry, ORD to LAX on United, then you hop on the Archer aircraft and go to downtown LA. You cut carbon emissions, you avoid traffic, and the most best part you arrive with a big smile on your face and relax exactly you've hit the nail on the head grayson really i mean uh, when we look at the future of integrating all of these different transportation networks together that's really what it's about it's about reliability it's about safety uh, and it's really about taking taking a much more stress-free approach to to how we move in and around our our communities and and abroad right so uh, united will use uh, the archer aircraft really to establish uh, as you were talking about this integrated customer travel experience, right? So if you think about just an easy example, taking two United hubs, uh, you have San Francisco, where I'm based at, at SFO, to let's say to to Newark and you know in in New York City in the area, right? If let's say you were starting at the financial district in San Francisco, and you were going ultimately to man, um, let's say a meeting in Manhattan, what you would do is you could truly book an origin to destination trip 
all via air travel. So you would take a, an Archer eVTOL aircraft through our ride-sharing service from the financial district to SFO. You would smoothly be able to obviously make your way through the, the passenger terminal, board your flight from San Francisco to New York, and then you'd, you'd be able to take an Archer aircraft from, let's say, Newark to wherever you were heading in, in Manhattan. So uh, it really allows for this smooth, integrated uh, customer experience that you know we hope uh, is something that we can build on in the future. And as business travel rebounds, it allows for the day trip. I've gone to, uh, I lived on the West Coast, I've gone to Philadelphia and back. Literally went there, had a meeting three hours and went, and, and went right back. But I had to go through a taxi, then I had to get in an Uber. But this makes it much easier for me. As you're looking to roll out the Archer service, you have partnerships with LA and Miami. I'm very familiar with both cities. Both cities are unique cultures, landscape. Miami is concentrated in the Brickell area, then South Beach, where LA is just this incredible sprawling metropolis that only seems to grow. How will you integrate Archer into those cities since they're two completely unique cities, but well-traveled cities for destinations? You're absolutely right. So uh, at, at Archer, we have announced LA and Miami as our launch cities. We are uh, really excited about bringing our service to those communities. If we step back and really think about the the types of environments uh, that are attractive for the early operations for for our aerial ride sharing service, you know what what we look for is a lot of what LA and Miami have to offer, right? So both cities really offer many of the traits that make an urban air mobility service a, a, attractive, right? They they're large population centers that have. Uh, challenging ground mobility, you know, there's terrible congestion really in, in both cities. Uh, there's a high volume of, of trips across many use cases, whether that's to and from the airport, whether that's, you know, to the beach, whether that's going to different types of events, there's, there's just different use cases that urban air mobility could serve. And the third thing that I think is really interesting is if you look at the weather environment, uh, both LA and Miami have what I would call a hospitable or accommodating weather environment for us really throughout the year. You know, maybe uh, Grayson, I know you said you're in, you're in Florida, other than the occasional, you know, pop-up shower or unfortunate hurricane that might hit, you know, generally uh, you've, you've got warm, sunshiny days for, uh, you know, the majority of the year. So those are things that we think are, are really important, uh, especially as we launch our operation. Um, you know, we're, we're going to take a crawl, walk, run approach. This is all about safety. This is all about uh, proving the benefit and the, the value of the service. And, and really, that that's all part of the process of, of building public trust and earning the the social license that that we need to uh, to have to to really scale this service and and show the benefit. Public trust is key. This was under uh, Mayor Jimenez, who was the county mayor of Miami, now Congressman Jimenez, did a really good job of uh, developing public trust around the Thomas vehicles that rolling out Miami, developing public trust around the scooters there. And Mayor Jimenez always took a county first approach. And so if you look at Florida, so we get hurricanes, but you get it five days notice. And then, and then you get the traffic going out of Miami. I could see a point where as you're working uh, with Mayor Cavalla now, who's the mayor of Miami-Dade County, okay, we're going to use the Archer aircraft, and we're going to lift people to the airport. We're going to lift to, to the bright line to cut down on that congestion. That's an incredible way for you to build public trust in that community when these events are coming and you know, okay, our aircraft must be docked and secured two days prior. But you have that, and you're going to build trust. Is that something that you're looking at to what are those problems in the community that we can help solve? 
that's what's fantastic about this technology uh, and these new aircraft is there's many different use cases or mission profiles uh, that we can apply these aircraft to. So, you know, we've generally talked mainly about the passenger carrying use case, and there's no doubt that that's really attractive. Uh, but there's other types of use cases, whether that's uh, through the Department of Defense, potentially with things like resupply missions or, or training. There's other use cases around cargo, middle mile logistics. Uh, and then, as you were hitting on, Grayson, emergency services. There's a, there's a lot of challenges that we have in our communities that we can use these aircraft and this technology to, to help solve. Uh, and, and again, be one of the, the tools in our tool belt, um, you know, to, to address those issues. I mean, I, you know, you're talking about emergency response for hurricanes that are coming in, in Florida. We have, we have similar types of natural disasters out here where I live in California around wildfires. Uh, so there's interesting use cases around, you know, air ambulatory and, and other emergency response services. So that's really, it, that's where everything comes together around uh, earning the public trust and social license uh, is showing truly the benefit of these aircraft and how it improves our lives in every way. It's going to improve the lives in a lot of ways. From a range perspective, how far will the aircraft be able to fly? Yeah, so it's a it's a really good question. So based on battery technology today, we are developing an aircraft that is a that has a pilot plus four passengers. So there's technically five seats in the aircraft, uh, and that aircraft will be able to fly about 60 miles at 150 miles per hour. And I think what's really interesting about that is 60 miles doesn't sound like uh, you know a significant range, but if you look at the use case of what we're trying to do, which is to move people in and around our, our congested communities, uh, if you take a place like Los Angeles, for example, Los Angeles has roughly plus or minus 50 million trips every single day across all modes of transportation. Of those 50 million trips, roughly 99% plus of them are under 50 miles. So with the range of our aircraft and current battery technology today, we can address pretty much every trip for the most part that that is occurring in Los Angeles today. And and so that's why we're we're really excited because you know the the battery density technologies, you know, are, are really there and and they're able to support uh, these type of aircraft. And and when we talk about battery technology, as we quote the performance of our aircraft and the range, that's using today's battery technology. That does not require some breakthrough in in, you know, kind of battery cell technology or battery density technology technology at the cellular level. We can do that today. Uh, and obviously, as batteries improve and, and, and the battery densities improve, uh, so too will the performance of our aircraft. And that's that's really what's exciting is that this is really just the beginning and we have so much room to grow. It's just the beginning, but let's I want to stay on the LA here and give you a couple scenarios. And so um, I lived in Hollywood and I lived in Beverly Hills and we go over the hill and you go to the valley and there's a lot of individuals that live in the valley and you have the Burbank Airport out there on Bob Hope Road. Is there a scenario in the future where a passenger can drive to the uh, Bob Hope Airport in Burbank and then take an Archer to LAX to get on an international flight instead of having to all the carbon emissions sitting in? It could be two hours in traffic on a bad day. It could be an hour in traffic on a good day. But the Archer, I'm assuming, what, 10-minute flight, 15-minute flight? Are you looking at scenarios like that to help reduce congestion on the streets? So that's why L.A. is such a, a fantastic potential market for us, is that, like you said, Grayson, there, there are trips in Los Angeles today, whether that's from Bob Hope Airport to LAX, whether that's from downtown Los Angeles to 
the Santa Monica Pier. Uh, you know, we're talking about trips that are 10, 12, 15 miles uh, as the crow flies kind of in nature. Uh, but some of those trips can take upwards of an hour and a half plus when taking, you know, taking a car on the ground today, right? And, and that's really where the value proposition comes in is that, you know, we can fly those 10 or 15 miles in 10 minutes or less. Uh, so even when you account for the first and last mile portion of getting maybe from your wherever you're starting, whether it's your home or your office to the kind of the takeoff vertiport, port and then all the way to LAX uh, in this example, uh, you're still talking about 50 plus percent of your time saved. And, and we think that that's that's really valuable and really, really powerful. And especially when you take into consideration that over time, we're confident that we're going to be able to offer this at a price per passenger mile that is competitive with ground ride sharing today. So not only is it safe, not only is it convenient, but it's also affordable. And that's really, that's really our goal, right? If, if, uh, you know, this is not supposed to be just another form of transportation for those purely with means. Uh, we really, truly want to offer this to the majority of our communities. And if we haven't achieved that, then, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. Affordability will drive adoption. You mentioned Vertiports. Archer has a partnership with Reef. What does that look like? How are they going to help you design the urban and takeoff landing sites? You know, the initial launch of our UAM service will likely leverage a lot of existing underutilized infrastructure in our communities, you know, whether that's aviation infrastructure. So think general aviation airports or heliports. Uh, we have over 5,000 existing general aviation airports in the United States. And then we have other underutilized infrastructure and assets in our communities, such as, you know, the, the rooftops of, of parking structures. And so, you know, in the early years, as we take a, a crawl, walk, run approach, uh, really, I think the goal is to leverage as much of the existing underutilized infrastructure in our communities as possible as kind of the baseline to, to launch this service, right? And so that's where our, our partnership with Reef comes in. We're really excited about that partnership because Reef owns and operates thousands of parking structures and parking lots uh, across the United States. And so they make really a natural fit uh, as a partner for us to work with as we build out our ecosystem and, and commercialize our service, especially around the vertiports, the takeoff and landing sites. So, you know, what we're looking to do is uh, identify geographic zones in Los Angeles, for example, that might be, you know, attractive areas for us to put uh, a takeoff and landing site, a vertiport. And what we'll do is, is we'll look to see if, you know, Reef might have some, some assets in that location. Uh, and, and that's how we'll use the partnership to see kind of where that overlap, you know, comes into play. And so I think parking structures are really interesting. If we just step back and think about parking structures overall as, as a, a network of vertiports, parking structures, I think, have really three kind of main qualities or, or benefits to them, right? So their parking structures are generally very well located uh, in our communities. They're generally built to, to hold large moving loads, right? You think about some of these parking structures and especially in Florida where everyone seemingly has a relatively large large truck or SUV, you know, they can hold hundreds of, of these large vehicles. So they're, they're built to, to hold large moving loads. And number three, they're, they're usually underutilized in, in many cases, right? They're great assets, uh, but we have ways to turn them in. Now we have a way to turn them into a more productive uh, asset for the community. And so I think uh, parking structures are, are really going to be a fundamental part of our, our early network. I know Reef 
pretty well done a lot of on the ground due diligence and visiting parking lots it's amazing when your curiosity will take you and reef for example has a, um, a parking garage in miami in the urban design district and the amount of electrical backhaul they have there for charging infrastructure wow it's highly scalable is that an advantage of going with reef because they already have all the electrical infrastructure so when your aircraft comes into charge you don't have to say hello mr energy provider can we have energy here because we have to charge our aircraft these are all electric aircraft. We're going to need charging infrastructure. And Reef has certainly done a good job of kind of laying the groundwork of, of how to electrify certain assets in our community. So being able to take that model and, and apply it to our, our future Vertiport sites is, is certainly something that, that's attractive to us. What will the charge time look like? Will it, when the passengers disembark, it be able to charge like a rapid charger? What will the charging look like? We will be able to leverage what today I think we're calling, you know, level three charging technology. So, you know, you're talking about a Tesla supercharger. So something that's in the range of, you know, r- what roughly uh, 250 kilowatt hours of charging. So ultimately the time it will take our aircraft to charge uh, is dependent on a couple variables. Uh, one of the variables is how much energy energy discharge did we have from the previous flight? How far was that flight? And then how much energy do we need for the for the next flight, for the preceding flight? Uh, I think the way we're working with our battery technology is to optimize how we're charging that battery throughout the course of the day. So we're not going to be fully charging the battery between every flight. What you'll see, I think, is kind of a, a sawtooth tooth sort of graph that shows that maybe we'll, you know, at the beginning of the day, obviously charge the battery full. If we drain it to, let's say, 30% after the first flight, we'll charge it to, call it 70% for the second flight. And then it'll come down to 50% and then maybe up to 90%. And you'll have this, this sawtooth graph that shows how we're optimizing the energy usage off the grid, number one, and number two, uh, you know, managing the, the, the battery and, and the load on the battery throughout the course of the day. Well done on the battery management. It's, it's going to, from a cost perspective, it's going to prolong the battery life, which would be really great for your shareholders. When you're going into a piece of infrastructure, obviously you have to have the charging infrastructure, but there, are there any other upgrades that have to be made in order for Archer to operate a an EV tall vertiport there? Yeah, so look, if, if we're looking at a, a parking structure, there's really very little retrofit that we need to do. Uh, you mentioned that we, we have to install charging networks or charging systems uh, on the site to recharge the aircraft. Uh, but other than that, you know, we, we would look to put a, a quote unquote terminal building there. So for the for the comfortable and, you know, kind of safe check-in and, and, and passage of, of our of our passengers, you know, we're we're working with the FAA right now as we look to understand what the Federal Aviation Administration is going to require uh, as far as the sizing of the fados and the gates. The fados are the takeoff and landing spots at, at the vertiports, and the, the gates are, you know, as we think about gates, you know, at, at an airport today, this is where the air, aircraft will park charge, passengers will deplane, new passengers will board, the aircraft will be cleaned and, you know, checked and all that sort of stuff, right? So we're working with the FAA to understand what are the sizing requirements for those different parts of the, um, of the vertiport. And, and so what we look to do is, is we'll, you know, we're sizing, we're sizing everything to make sure that we've got enough space to, to land the aircraft, move the aircraft around, install our charging systems, install the, the terminal building. And, and really you have everything you need at that point. It all points to gearing up for commercialization. When is Archer planning commercial operations? 
We have been working with the FAA for the last two years on the certification of our aircraft. We've already achieved one of the major milestones in the certification process, which is called the the G1. Uh, the G1 essentially establishes the basis of certification for your aircraft. And so we've already accomplished that with the FAA, and we look forward to collaborating with the FAA and, and working towards you know the full certification of our conforming aircraft. We are targeting the end of 2024 for the certification of, of that conforming aircraft, and then we will look to commercialize and launch the operation of our UAM service shortly thereafter in the first half of 2025. So, you know, everyone... Everyone says, you know, this sounds like it's it's something that's 10 years down the road. And, and the reality is here we are in mid-2022. So this is something that's really just within the next few years. And while we have a lot to do, there's no doubt, uh, you know, I'm really confident that just based on a lot of the partnerships that we have and really the way the industry is developing and, and the fantastic collaboration uh, that we're seeing from some of our city partners, we've got some great momentum and, and everything's moving forward. Collaboration and partnerships or the key for the future mobile day. It's what's going to usher it in on the backside of that. It's the public trust of the public. Trust your product. The community wants your product. It's going to be successful. When you look at this whole urban air mobility industry that's being built, what role do you see Archer playing in that new emerging industry? We're really doing two things, right? So we are designing, developing, certifying, and manufacturing an all-new, all-electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. And then the second thing we're doing is we intend to stand up and operate uh, one of these mini airlines in cities as an aerial ride-sharing service, right? So uh, at Archer, we're, we're truly kind of at the at the forefront of the industry. We view ourselves and some of our, our current industry peers as really trailblazers and pioneers to bring this this new emerging transportation option, uh, you know, to to our communities. And so, you know, like I said, there will be a crawl, walk, run approach to, to how we integrate this into the existing transportation networks. But, you know, we're, we're really excited about how communities are, are really leaning in with us and helping helping us kind of figure out some of the, the challenges and the problems that we have to, to figure out. The days the Jetsons are, are not far off. Instead of going to Mr. Sprockley's, You'll be going to South Beach or perhaps you're going to the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Those days are coming sooner rather than later. That's right. Andrew, you shed a really great amount of light on Archer. So thank you for that. It's been it's been really interesting. I can't wait to go for a ride in your aerial ride sharing service. So sign me up as a beta tester. I'm ready to go. You, you mentioned that the service will be affordable. Well done on that. From an economic standpoint, how is that possible when you look at a helicopter? It's very expensive to fly and maintain. How will Archer be able to offer this at an affordable price? Yeah, certainly. And look, that that's part of the, the revolutionary, as I call it, benefit of the technology that's being integrated into uh, our eVTOL aircraft. So we're very confident that we'll be able to bring the operating cost of that aircraft down significantly. And that's around a, a few different elements. So number one is the cost to maintain the aircraft. So traditional uh, airplanes today with combustion engines or turbine engines. The reality is there's a lot of moving parts, especially in the engine. They're very complex. I think you had mentioned earlier when you were at the United Hangar, you saw the aircraft with seemingly miles and miles of, of wires and systems and, and all sorts of things, right? To maintain the you know and ensure the safety of, of that aircraft, uh, it takes obviously a lot of inspection, a lot of retrofit, a lot of maintenance. You know, our aircraft will essentially be powered by a, a powertrain that is six battery packs driving 12 electric motors, which is 
significantly more simple than a combustion engine today. I used to work at Rolls-Royce and Rolls-Royce makes you know, fantastic engines for big wide-bodied aircraft, civil aircraft. Uh, so you know when you're flying across the Atlantic or the Pacific and you look out on the wing and you see that 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 big engine, there's a, you know there's a, a good chance that that could be powered by by Rolls-Royce. And one of those large engines can have upwards or, or more than 30,000 individual components in one engine. So you can only imagine the amount of, of effort uh, and complexity there is in that engine and, and how hard it can be to maintain. If you strip a lot of that complexity away uh, of all those moving, rotating, high pressure type components, uh, replace it with uh, the much more simple battery and, and electric motor system we're talking about, that means you have much less maintenance. And, and as you have much less maintenance, uh, that brings down the overall operational cost of that aircraft. And so that's why we're, we're very confident that the actual cost base to operate the aircraft will allow us to offer uh, rides at a much uh, more affordable rate than you know can be offered today with helicopters or, or small aircraft. Electrification is making urban air mobility affordable. It certainly is. It certainly is. Electrification is certainly one of the technologies that is allowing us to take this kind of, you know, this leap forward uh, into the next generation of, of aviation. Because if you think about it, from what you described from your days at Rolls-Royce, having seen the engines up close, you're right. There's no way from an affordability standpoint, just the engineering and the maintenance costs alone that go into maintain those engines, not to mention the fuselage. But with less moving parts, it's easier to maintain. Exactly. And, and that's really one of the benefits of these aircraft. And there, look, there's, there's a reason why today when we think about as the average person, when we think about jumping on an aircraft, there's a reason why we generally don't travel less than about, on average, 250 miles. The reality is it's not economically viable for operators to operate aircraft less than that distance and still be able to charge us a rate that most individuals would be able to afford. And that's why today when we see people who take, you know, aircraft, whether it's helicopters or other small, you know, aircraft, private jets, whatever it might be, shorter distances, uh, it's usually those with means who can afford to do that uh, because it costs a lot of money. That's where this new technology, particularly around uh, batteries and electric motors, uh, enables us to, to have that step change of affordability. Uh, and that's what we're really excited about. It's a positive change that will have a positive impact on society. Andrew, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them today? You know, I think Archer's working really hard over the next couple of years to commercialize our service. Uh, in, in 2022, we've we've got some major milestones coming up, kind of in the in the near term. We're going to continue on with our the, our testing, our flight testing campaign with Maker, which is our full scale demonstrator aircraft, really to broaden the the flight envelope and expand the flight envelope of that aircraft. And really, what we want to do is continue advancing some of the you know the design capabilities uh, of that aircraft uh, and and really make sure we're testing all of the major systems and subsystems. So we're, we're really excited about that. Uh, we're also going to be announcing the, uh, the groundbreaking of our manufacturing facility later this year. Uh, that's going to be the home uh, or the future home, I should say, to, uh, you know, to our manufacturing capability. Uh, and, and so we're actually working with Stellantis, which is by volume the fourth largest auto manufacturer in the world world to do that. Uh, Stellantis is the resulting merger of, of Fiat Chrysler and, and Peugeot. So we've got a fantastic partnership there. And then beyond 
that it's continuing to work and collaborate with the FAA to certify our aircraft and and we'll also be announcing some other things around um, you know standing up the actual aerial ride sharing service so the reality is Archer's UAM service is is on the horizon. It's certainly not a 30-year-out Jetsons type of thing. It's it's coming in the next few years, and we're really excited about it. Archer's well on its way. I'm excited about it. Our listeners are excited about it. So thank you for shedding the light on Archer today, because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is Archer Aviation. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on SAE Tomorrow Today. Thanks, Grayson. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Be sure to join us next week as we speak with Eric Cowden, race engineer at Chip Ganassi Racing. He'll share how the latest race car technology transfers to the consumer vehicles and his experiences with the SAE Formula One team. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.